0: Gospels, good news. They were written for evangelizing rather than simply to inform. The evangelists worked hard to formulate the traditions they recorded in such a way as to convey the evangelizing point they had in mind. Since most of what we know about Judas is found in these Gospels, we must first become familiar with this evangelizing procedure of the evangelists before we can move back behind them half a century to talk about the historical Judas himself. Jesus' own public ministry was largely confined to Jews, and his disciples were Jews. Those who had the Pentecost experience of receiving the Spirit after Easter were Jews from all over the ancient world. They had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish festival and Judas was a part of this very Jewish context out of which Christianity was born. Judaism was, and is, a very impressive ethical monotheistic religion, appealing not only to Jews but also to Gentiles. They admired the high ethical standards of the Jewish community and appreciated the form of worship they practiced throughout the Roman Empire a religious service without the outdated trappings of a temple with animal sacrifice, confined to the temple in Jerusalem, but rather with an edifying, uplifting reading from their holy scriptures in Hebrew, followed by its interpretation in the everyday language of the audience. Gentiles like to attend these services in Jewish synagogues, a Greek word that means assemblies. But few of them were actually willing to convert to Judaism, to become Jews, proselytes, by undergoing circumcision and accepting strict conformity to the Jewish lifestyle. Judaism meant abstaining from much of the desirable social life of their community. They preferred to attend the synagogue on the Sabbath, but live their normal lives the rest of the week. These Gentiles who attended the synagogue were called God-fearers, but not Jews. In the Jewish synagogues where Paul preached, These God-fearers were those who were most sympathetic to his message, for he offered them precisely what they wanted from Judaism, the high ethical ideal without animal sacrifice or outdated restrictions on their social relations. Baptism was much better than circumcision. And so the Gentile Christian church blossomed, far surpassing in numbers what was left of Jesus' disciples in Galilee, the withering Jewish Christian church. Barnabas had enlisted for his mission in Antioch the most prominent convert from Judaism since Easter, the Pharisee Paul, from Tarsus on the southern coast of modern Turkey, a Jew raised out there in the Gentile world. Paul and Barnabas took Titus, a Gentile convert to Christianity, with them to Jerusalem to convince the pillars of the Jewish Christian church there that this Gentile, though uncircumcised, should be recognized as a fully accredited Christian. The Jerusalem church conceded the point and reached a working arrangement with Paul and Barnabas. The original disciples would continue their mission limited to Jews but gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas to continue converting uncircumcised Gentiles. Paul, in turn, agreed to make a collection in Gentile churches for the poor of the Jerusalem church. This fine ecumenical solution, ratified by the Jerusalem council, proved difficult to implement back in the mixed congregation of Antioch. For Paul and Barnabas had in practice given up their Jewish custom of eating only among Jews to retain their ceremonial purity. Instead, they ate together with all members of their mixed congregation. The Lord's Supper could not be segregated. Even Peter, there for a visit from Jerusalem, went along with this tolerant Christian practice. But Jesus' brother James, who by then had taken over the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, sent delegates to Antioch to insist that Jewish Christians should eat only at a table with Jews to retain their ceremonial purity, even if the congregation included Gentiles. So Peter himself withdrew to a Jews-only table, and even Barnabas went along with this segregation. But Paul stood his ground, denouncing this reliance on Jewish purity as a condition for salvation and from then on did his missionary work without the support of the Church of Antioch or of Jewish Christianity. From Paul's time on, this alienation between the Jewish and Gentile branches of Christianity only got worse. The ecumenicity of the Jerusalem Council gave way to the dominance of the more numerous and prosperous Gentile Christian Church, which returned the favor by rejecting the small Jewish Christian Church as heretical. By the 4th century, Epiphanius, bishop of Salamis on Cyprus, wrote against the Jewish Christians, calling them heretical sects of Ebionites and Nazarenes. The first term means the poor, the second from Nazareth. Both were originally names for Jesus and his disciples. All these Jewish Christians were doing was continuing their Jewish lifestyle, as had Jesus, while being Christians as well. Surely we would not call them heretics today. Jewish and Gentile Gospels In the generation after Paul, each side had collected their treasured recollections of Jesus into Gospels, the Jewish Christians into their sayings, Gospel Q, and the Gentile Christians into their narrative Gospel Mark. One main reason that the sayings Gospel Q did not become a book within the New Testament is that the New Testament is the book of the Gentile Christian Church, not the book of the Jewish Christian Church. We know about the sayings Gospel Q only because, as a last expression of that ecumenism, both confessions decided to merge both the sayings Gospel Q and the narrative Gospel Mark into a single gospel, each from their own perspective, of course. Matthew did it from the perspective of the Jewish Christian Church, Luke from the perspective of the Gentile Christian Church. So it is possible to reconstruct rather accurately, as a team of scholars I organized for that purpose have done, the Sayings Gospel Q, though no manuscripts have survived because it soon ceased to be copied by the Gentile Christian Church. The Sayings Gospel Q made no reference at all to Judas, but the narrative Gospel Mark, followed by the other Gospels in the New Testament, presented the familiar picture of Judas leading the Jewish authorities to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. But it is precisely this familiar story that needs to be reexamined in the context of the emergence of the Gospel of Judas. Indeed, before the Gospel of Judas was rediscovered, a distinguished Mennonite scholar had already undertaken just such a re-examination. William Cosson's 1996 book, Judas, Betrayer or Friend of Jesus, did just that. All of this now calls for our own reexamination, if the gospel of Judas is to be correctly understood. But first, we must familiarize ourselves with the gospels of the New Testament themselves, from which our quite understandably hostile feelings about Judas, as well as an emerging more tolerant attitude toward Judas, are both derived. We begin with the first Gentile Christian gospel, the Gospel of Mark. The Gentile Gospel of Mark Mark presents the inner circle of Jesus' disciples as being very ignorant about Jesus as to who he was and what he was trying to do. You really have to wonder why they followed him at all, or you have to wonder why Mark portrayed them that way. So let's see how he did portray them and try to figure out why. After telling the parable of the sower, which even I can understand, Jesus asked the disciples with amazement, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? A whole chapter of parables follows, which Jesus has to explain rather pedantically to them. I should point out that full scriptural citations can be found in the print version of this book. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Yet the disciples still seem in the dark. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They still don't seem to understand who Jesus was. When the disciples in the boat see Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Looking back on the feedings of the multitudes, Jesus asks,